Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, and a very good welcome to you. A great day it is and beautiful to be in your company. Um, today we are going to be addressing on Judaism 101.9 um, a couple of things that are coming up in the Jewish calendar, which we think you need to know about, as well as getting back to something that we started last week, which is to learn uh, together or to take a look at perhaps a, uh, a, a glimpse of one of the Mishnayot, one of the Mishnas of Pirke Avot, the ethics of our fathers that we study each and every Shabbat from Pesach through to Rosh Hashanah. Every Shabbat afternoon, a different um, chapter of Pirke Avot, the ethics or the uh, chapters of our fathers, is studied one chapter a week. And, of course, this week going to chapter 2, um, being that it restarts after Shavuot. So let's just think about a couple of things that um, you need to know in the coming week. Not sure if you recall, but um, at the beginning of the month, um, just before the month of Sivan, had you been in Shul, um, you would have known on the Shabbos on which we bless the month of Sivan, the tradition is that although we usually avoid saying a prayer called Av HaRachamim, which is said, if you think about it, just before the Ashrei, um, after Torah reading, we say Av HaRachamim. The Av HaRachamim commemorates um, tragedies. It commemorates and thinks about and talks about uh, the tragedies that befell Jewish communities over periods of time, although they're not specifically mentioned there, it refers specifically to a certain series of events and certain tragedies that befell the Jewish communities, particularly in Poland, but then it became something that swept along and around uh, great swathes of, um, of Europe at the time, dating back to the, the 1600s. And we'll talk about it in a moment, but that happened and started in the month of Sivan. And therefore, usually when it comes to Shabbat Mavarachim, usually when it comes to the, uh, uh, the Shabbos on which we bless a new month or any other time when penitential prayers are not said, this is one of those penitential sad prayers. In fact, it's even coupled with and even said in most communities following Yiskor on days when Yiskor is said, it's a memorial prayer. It's a sad prayer. It's all about um, people who gave up their lives, Al-Kiddush Hashem, um, sanctifying God's name just for the fact that they were Jewish. This clearly, it says in most Sidurim, that albeit that it is Shabbos Mavarchim, albeit that it is the Shabbos on which we bless the new month of Sivan, on this particular month we do say that prayer. And why? Because there is a date coming up during this coming week, which in fact will be on Sunday, which is Chof Sivan, the 20th of Sivan, which commemorates the beginning of a terrible bleak period of uh, torture and uh, murder and a uh, near holocaust of uh, parts of Eastern Europe, which began in the year 1648. Now, what had happened was that there was a particular fellow by the name of Bogdan Chmelniki, or Chmelnitsky, as uh, is uh, the Jewish pronunciation. But this Bogdan Chmelniki was a person who rose up in revolution against 
the Polish government. He tried to lead an overthrow to the Polish government. Unfortunately for him, uh, he was, his plans were thwarted and, um, he was, um, sold out by a Jewish person who had overheard and reported this plot and, um, he was led off to prison and in fact he was sentenced to death. However, before the death penalty could be carried out on this delightful character, Bogdan Chmelniki, um, the uh, king of Poland passed away. And um, somehow, through all sorts of reprieves and so on, Chmelniki escaped, he got out, and he eventually led a great um, um, a group of people who were known as the Cossacks. He led them um, in a um, an overthrow of the Polish army, he, and at the same time, he went ahead with an attacking and murdering program um, of Jews at every opportunity. Now, he actually began with his murder and massacre of the Jews um, by killing 6,000 Jews in a place called Nemirov in Poland. There, um, 6,000 Jews were massacred in this first um, onslaught. And then, as were known as the pogroms, he carried on with these pogroms. He carried on uh, wiping out approximately 500,000 Jews who were murdered um, by these uh, rampaging Cossacks. Um, um, perishing at around every corner and in every little village and every town and every hamlet um, in and around uh, Poland at the time. And um, it's because of that terrible, terrible massacre that began on the 20th of Sivan in the year 1648 that um, we actually commemorate the um, uh, massacres of these Jews by saying this prayer, it's a day of a little bit of sadness, I guess, um, that um, is set up the 20th of Sivan. And it's because of that that there is a kind of a, a pall of, um, of cloud, a cloud of, uh, of a little bit of darkness that does descend on our uh, collective simcha and joyous attitude for this month of Sivan, although it's the month in which we receive the Torah, but the latter part of the month is kind of dominated by these terrible occurrences and these terrible pogroms against the Jews um, in, as we said, the 1648 and thereafter period of Jewish history. Let's move on to looking at one of the Mishnayot in Pirkei Avot. And as mentioned, each uh, Shabbos afternoon we study a chapter. And um, I've chosen in these weeks to try and intersperse some of the other things that we talk about with the study of Pirkei Avot, with the study of the ethics of our fathers. And again, uh, pertaining to Judaism 101.9, to give people a flavor of what these messages are that, as we mentioned last week, our fathers taught us, these father figures, but also the fact that these were um, chapters um, that pertain to father principles as much as they do to the fathers who actually said them, the founding fathers of Jewish learning, study, and so on. And so we come this week to the beginning of chapter 2. And to give you just the introduction here, it says Rabbi Omer. Now, we're talking about Rabbi, a man who was known as 
Rabbi, who was Rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. He was Rabbi Judah the Prince or Rabbi Judah the President. He was the leader, really, of the Jewish people at the time. He was largely responsible for canonizing, for putting together the Mishnah and um, its structure as we have it, as we know it today. Now, he questioned. He said, Ezehu derech yeshoro ha'adam. This Mishnah asks the question, what is the right or the correct path, the straight, the direct, the good path that a person should choose for his or her passage through life? And he gives us a few very important pointers. We'll get back to those. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Okay, we're back with um, Judaism 101.9 and we're talking about Pirkei Avot, the chapters or the ethics of our fathers, and started looking at the first Mishnah in the second chapter of the ethics of our fathers, quoted in the name of Rabbi, Rabbi is Rabbi Yehuda Anossi, who said, asks the rhetorical question, um, <coughs> or the practical question, what is the right, straight, correct path for a person to choose in their passage through life? And he gives us a few pieces of, of advice. And the first one is, We need to choose a path in life that is tiferes le'oseha, which is often translated as one that is honorable for you and brings honor from men. What does that mean? I think that perhaps somehow we get these things lost a little bit in translation. And, of course, there are so many different ways that one can interpret the words of the Mishnah. But the choice here of words is significant. He uses a word called tiferes. Now, if we use this word tiferes or tiferet, we think about, I think it immediately springs to mind, that tiferet is one of the attributes that we um, have spoken about at length over the period of time between Pesach and Shavuot, when we talk about the different sfirot, the different midot, in other words, that we, the different character traits that we are supposed to try and integrate, parts of our soul that need to be worked on and that need to come to the fore, one of them is tiferet, tiferes. Now, tiferes is often translated as beauty, being beautiful, that's Tiferes, or it is perhaps a little um, more loosely thought about as being harmony, harmony. It is something that is satisfying, that is pleasing, and that is beautiful. What does Rabbi Yehuda Hanosi, what does Rebbe actually tell us? He tells us that we must choose a path through, through life that is Tiferes, that is pleasing, and that is beautiful. In other words, first up, don't be involved in something that is disgusting. Don't be involved in something that is shameful. Don't be involved in something that is suspect. Don't be involved in something that is going to bring discredit, not only to you, but perhaps to your family and so on. To be involved in things, um, and they we're not here talking about um, not working hard and so on, but be, don't be involved in things that are... Um, a suspect as far as legality is concerned or as far as, as morality is concerned. A person needs to be involved in things that are tiferous. And we need to bear in mind at all times that we should live harmonious lives. We should live lives that are 
beautiful. We should live lives that are positive. Um, you know, unfortunately, very often um, we as rabbis get to hear and speak um, a lot at funerals and uh, in houses of mourning. And you think about how you eulogize people and what we think about. And yes, of course, um, it's an amazing thing. But when it comes to a, uh, a eulogy of, uh, of an individual, and God forbid this should be the only reason that we do it for, but people don't praise um, that much and the fact that a person was um, highly uh, capable in uh, in in money making or in uh, in uh, uh, reaching to be the, uh, the the most powerful individual and so on but we like to think about as human beings and particularly as Jews of people who have good midot who have good attributes who have good um, uh, ways of caring and sharing. We praise people for their charity. We praise people for their kindness. We praise people for living harmonious and good lives. It's not um, a, uh, a sense of praise that one would shower upon a person who has lived an unharmonious life, a life of strife and a life of fighting and a life of of um, of uh, striving to be number one at the expense of number two, three, four, five, and six, and seven, and so on. All of these things need to be borne in mind. So we're talking about something that is Tiferes. But the first thing that he says is Tiferes lo eseho. It's got to be pleasing literally for the one who makes the path, the one who walks that path, the one who's created that path. Now here we could think about it as being something that, of course, you are capable of, that you need to do things that you that's within your realm and it's pleasing to you. Um, perhaps that is one of the messages behind it. In other words, don't pick something um, or don't do things in your life that you 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 personally hate doing. You find it abhorrent. You'll never be successful and you'll never feel fulfilled in doing things that you hate doing. Rather, do things that you love, that you enjoy, because you're going to do them a, a, a lot better. But perhaps there is a side uh, show to this all, and we need to look at it in this context. And maybe it's driven also by the second part, where he says it shouldn't only be tiferes lo it shouldn't only be something that is beautiful, harmonious to you, but it's got to be beautiful also min ha'odam, in the eyes of men. Are we worried about what people are going to say? Are we worried? Is that why we um, behave in the way that we behave or need to behave correctly? Because of what people will say? Is this about um, social judgment? Is this about uh, people looking at us and saying, oh, um, that person isn't behaving well and therefore is that the, the mark of it or um, uh, because people are critical? Is that the reason why we do things or why we don't do things? Perhaps we've got to look at this on a little bit of a deeper level. And that is that maybe when we're talking about Oseha, the one who makes the path, it's not only you, but it's the Almighty. It's God who makes all paths. And now suddenly we come to a possible interpretation of this line in the Mishnah in the following very beautiful way. And that is that when a person picks his or her passage through life. One needs to remember that there are really two elements that one needs to make sure you are in harmony with. One is that you need to be pleasing. It needs to be beautiful in the eyes of God as well as needing it to be pleasing in the eyes of men. And here, once again, we pause for a moment and we say, what is this need to have to please people? Surely if I get along with God... That's all that counts. Well, perhaps if we think about it a little bit more, 
we will realize that each and every individual has within them a part of God. They were created by God and they have a soul and that soul is created by God. It's a, it's actually a part of Hashem. It's part of God himself. So in each individual, there is the microcosm of God and of godliness. And um, if I cannot get along with the microcosm of God, of godliness, how can I possibly get along with the macro? How can I get a, along with God himself? And perhaps this cuts very much to the chase of um, the old question that people often have. And that is, you know, surely if I'm a good person and people like me and I'm getting on well and I'm respected in business and so on, that's enough. So my relationship will, with God, God will understand and God will know that I'm doing my best in that kind of a realm. And I don't really need all the spiritual stuff that goes with um, godliness, uh, Torah study, uh, mitzvahs, uh, being in shul, davening, prayer and so on. And um, on the other hand, there are those who say, listen, I'm deeply devout and religious and I've got all the rituals correct and I spend a lot of time in shul and I spend a lot of time learning Torah and I do all of that stuff but who cares if uh, people find me obnoxious or if people find me um, incorrect in my uh, behaviors and in my morality outside and so on as long as I have this great relationship with God who cares about my fellow men perhaps Rabbi Yehuda Anossi is coming here in this Mishnah to tell us that um, perish the thought of only getting one side right because you're actually denying um, a part of God if you cannot get along with your fellow man and you're de- denying perhaps all of God if you cannot get along with God himself. We actually need them both, but they're, they're actually one and the same thing. When we can get along well with our fellow men and when people look at us favorably and there's a harmony that and a peace that we create in the world that comes from our fellow men, that surely is sanctioned also by God because each person has a part of God. And if we get along well with God, we cannot deny the need to uh, do so in the eyes of our fellow men as well. These two are really two sides of the same coin. They're interwoven, and we cannot divorce the one from the other. And so his beautiful phrase there is it needs to be tiferes, We've got to be able to be on God's side, and we also need to be on man's side. We cannot, uh, for a moment, um, be rid of or get uh, wash away the importance of a relationship with the Almighty and the importance of the relationships that we have with our fellow men. He goes on and he gives us a second piece of advice. And the second piece of advice, he says, is, we must be as diligent with the performance of a light mitzvah as we are with what we would call a heavy one, a small precept um, as much as we are with a big precept. And why? Because he says, because you do not know the reward for the mitzvot. Seems like a strange kind of a piece of advice here, but what is he really telling us? Think about it. We should be as diligent with a light mitzvah, a small mitzvah, as we are with a big one. Maybe that should be kind of rephrased in our own minds, and that is, what is a big mitzvah and what is a small mitzvah? Well, I guess each and every one of us would have different yardsticks, but we would probably say, well, fasting on Yom Kippur is a big mitzvah. 
um, dropping a coin into a charity box every day, small mitzvah. But think about it. Your fasting on Yom Kippur is very, very personal. The coin that you dropped into the um, stocker box might save a life. And yet we look at that. This one is small and that one is big. You don't know the reward for the mitzvahs. We don't know the outcome. We don't know where that coin goes. We don't know what it actually accomplishes. And therefore, who are we to stand in judgment and say this is a big one and this is a small one? There are certain um, logical ways that we line things up in our minds whereby we say to ourselves, this is something that's of great importance because I rationalize, I understand, I see the end result and therefore I know that it must be important. But not necessarily in God's world is it of that much importance. And there may be some things that we're treading underfoot, things that we're overlooking that are either equally important or even sometimes much more important. And therefore, the advice is, don't you make that decision. Don't weigh up which is the more important mitzvah and which is not, because you don't know the rewards. Now, classically, Torah brings rewards for some mitzvot that are spelled out in the Torah itself. The most famous, of course, is the fact that it says that if you respect your parents, if you honor your um, father and your mother, you will live long. You'll have long days. You'll have long days. You'll live long. It's a long life reward for respect for parents. Wow. Okay. We get it. Respect for parents is a big mitzvah. We need to make sure that we do that mitzvah well. Strangely enough, there is another mitzvah that carries that reward as well mentioned clearly in Torah. And that is if you're walking in a field and you come across a nest and inside the nest there are eggs and a mother bird is hovering over the nest we need to make sure that we send away the mother bird before we take the eggs. If we needed to take the eggs, we've got to make sure that the mother bird is sent away. Shiluah hakein, it is the sending away of the mother bird. And the mitzvah of sending away the mother bird carries the same reward. You will have long life. Now, okay, we start drawing all sorts of par- parallels, you know, respect for parents. This is respecting the parent and the child, etc., etc., etc. But I think you cannot argue that respect for parents is something that each and every one of us has to do every day, all day. When last did you send away a mother bird? It's a really, really obscure kind of a mitzvah that hardly anybody gets to do, and yet they carry the same reward. Ah, says God, you don't understand my logic. You don't understand the uh, rewards that we have uh, for, for mitzvahs, and you also don't understand in my world, in God's world, what actually is of the utmost importance and what isn't. So therefore, Treat all things that you do equally. Make sure you do the little things, the small stuff, as well and as beautifully as you do the big stuff. We'll be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi and welcome back. A third piece of advice given in Pirkei Avot in the Ethics of Our Fathers by Rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda Anossi. In the beginning of the second chapter, he tells us, you must weigh up, a person should always weigh up, the hefsed, the loss that you will incur by doing a mitzvah against its reward. Remember we've just said that we're not quite sure what the rewards are for the different mitzvahs. How do we really know then what it means that we should weigh up and how do we work this one out? Weighing up the loss 
um, against its reward. I think that perhaps we've got to look in an over, overall fashion, and that is that we really do not understand the great, great rewards that there are in store, both in this world and in the next, for the performance of a mitzvah. And we sometimes think, well, you know, this mitzvah, in order to perform this mitzvah, in order to do it, it's going to either cost me a little bit more money. It's going to cost me a little bit more time. It's going to take a little bit more of my energy. It's going to take a little bit more of me, and therefore, is it really worth it? The small amount that you are going to spend, whether it is of energy or finance or of um, personal time, compared to the reward of any mitzvah, um, it will always be incomparable. So I think that that is point number one that we need to put away and file. But I cannot think of a better way to actually demonstrate this than with a very, very beautiful old parable, old story that is told about a, a father who is taking his child. Imagine cold, freezing uh, Eastern Europe, Russia, Poland, as we were referring to before. And the child is being taken before Yom Kippur. It is coming up for Yom Kippur. And as we know, Jews like before Yom Kippur to go to the, need to go to the mikveh. We go to a mikveh, to a ritual bath, in order to purify ourselves from any spiritual maladies that we may have before we face uh, the Almighty on that uh, fateful and important day called Yom Kippur. And people, therefore, want to go to the mikveh. Now, it's only a fairly recent and modern thing that uh, we have heated pools and heated mikvehs and so on. Um, in days gone by, people would jump into a freezing lake or they would jump into a freezing cold mikveh in order to uh, gain this uh, purity. You know, I suppose there are people who do it today jumping into the swimming pool, but it's not quite as frozen or as bad as it would be where you've got to kind of chisel away the ice and uh, then immerse yourself in that mikveh. Now, this man, you can call him a little bit um, cruel, uh, perhaps taking his little bojikal, his little boy, say a five- or six-year-old child, takes him to the mikveh on Erev Yom Kippur. He chisels away at the ice. He makes a hole big enough for uh, the child to fit in, holds the kid, and uh, um, swiftly immerses the child into the freezing, freezing icy waters of this cold mikveh. And he says to the child, as he is immersing him, he says to the child, how do you feel? And the child is shivering and he's crying out and he says, oy vey, oy vey, oy vey, get me out of here. And as he picks the child up and out of the mikveh and he wraps him in a beautiful, uh, lush, warm towel and he puts him down next to a little fire that he has made and he gives him a prepared flask of hot soup and he says to him, and now how do you feel? He, the child says, now, now it's wonderful. Now it's what we would call a machaya. Wonderful. Fantastic. And the father turns to the child and he says, my son, remember always. Every mitzvah seems to start off with a bit of an oive. We start off with oive. It's expensive. It's taking time. It's taking my energy. This is not quite for me. I'm not sort of into it. This is not really me. What do I actually do here? How do I do it? And I'm not 100% sure. And it's actually taking away a little bit of my ego because I feel a little bit unqualified to do this. It starts off with a bit of an oive. But you've got to remember that every mitzvah ends off 
with a machaya, the wonders that you can do by doing every mitzvah, by learning something, by studying something, by helping with your community, by helping your fellow man, by doing something good and kind, you'll always have the machaya, the wonderful, wonderful result that's going to follow on afterwards. And then he concluded and said, just remember that the other way around is true as well. And that is that every Avera, every sin that you do, everything that you do that's wrong, everything that perhaps the world wants to attract you to, always starts off as a machaya. It's always wonderful. It seems to be so fantastic, so pleasurable, so so enjoyable, so incredible. Remember, the oive will follow soon thereafter. Be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Rabbi concludes his Mishnah with his final little piece of advice. And then he says, um, we should always know, we should look at three things, and you will never come to sin. You should know what is above you. And what is above you? He says, there is an eye that sees and there is an ear that hears. And all your deeds are written down. They're all recorded. Everything goes on file. It's all recorded in the books. What does it mean? Well, usually we take this to mean, of course, that Hashem is watching and Hashem is listening and Hashem is over us. That is what is above us. But there is a very, very beautiful Hasidic interpretation which teaches us that means you should know that what is above Mimach, it comes from you. We actually can change fate. We can change things in heaven. Da ma'la ma'la mimach. We can make the eye that sees and the ear that hears and the good deeds up above. We can create them and make them by our performance, by what we do and our attitude. And very often when one can only see fault, it is because you're the one who has the fault. And that's why that's all you can see. Because you're looking at things with a negative eye, and therefore everything seems negative. Because you are looking through blinkered or col- or, 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 or scratched or, or uh, faulty glasses, and therefore everything looks dirty and everything looks faulty and everything looks all scratched up. Remember that the si- similarly, when it comes to the things in Shamayim, the things in heaven, remember that they are dependent on us. Our performance of mitzvot, our learning of Torah, our doing of good deeds, we can certainly affect the heavens. And therefore, it is our job, as Jews, says this beautiful interpretation of Rabbi Yehuda Anossi, is not only to remember to choose the right and the correct path in our uh, in our journey through life and make sure that it's pleasing to us and to man and to God. And not only must we make sure that we um, always do the light things, the small things, as well as we do the big things. And not only then should we never weigh up and say, well, the reward here is cannot be as great as the, um, the, uh, the, the effort that I put in. We've got to remember finally that we can affect 
Shemaim. We can affect the heavens. We can affect everything that goes on in the world. Man is powerful. You're given a soul. And remember that that great strength is something that each and every one of you, every one of us possesses. We need to go out there and do that. Make the path that is right and correct, remembering these beautiful teachings of Rabbi Yehuda Hanossi, Rebbe, in Pirkei Avot. I want to wish you a great rest of the week, a great Shabbat up ahead. Look forward to being back with you again. Same time, same place next week on Judaism 101.9.